During World War II, bombs were dropping in Germany. One of those bombs hit near an old church and two iron cages that were hanging in the church towers crashed to the ground. In the iron cages were old bones. The bones of a man so evil, the people of the city had left the cages in the towers where the men had been killed. These bones had been there for hundreds of years. The city had to decide what to do. Was it time to let the memory of this man rest? Should they simply just destroy the cages? But the town voted to fix the tower and put the cages with the bones back in the tower. The city believed this vile man should never be forgotten. So just to be clear, while Hitler was in power, these people in Germany believed they needed to remember the horror of this man the city had once followed to make sure they didn't make that mistake again. Honestly, they didn't see the irony in that at all. Who was this man? He was a preacher. And today, we're going to talk about him. Before I start this week's episode, let me tell you a little about what's going on in my life. I've been busy recording and editing here in my studio. One of the things I love to do is record audiobooks or voiceover work for YouTubers, and I've been really busy with that lately. If you have a book you would like to have recorded or you're looking for a voiceover artist, you can contact me for more information. My email address is lauralee at lauraleesiemens.com, and I'm going to have that for you in the show notes below. For now, let's look at today's story. We are in the middle of the Reformation. In our last episode, we talked about the Anabaptists. In this episode, we're talking about the worst church in history, and it happens to be an Anabaptist church. Now remember, there were two ways of thinking in the beginning of the Anabaptist history. One belief was that there was to be no violence at all, not even in self-defense. There was a complete separation of state and church, which meant the church members could not participate in the state at all. They could not run for office in any form. The other belief was that the church should free itself from the state, and that freedom could be taken by force. Today's church fell under that second category. Follow me down a street in Germany. We walk past shops, people chatting and shopping. Children run down the street. You can smell the bakery before you arrive. As you open the door and walk into the shop, you are met by Jan Martheus. Jan is a fun guy. He's charismatic, and you know you will leave with much more bread than you planned on buying. He can sell. He is so good at it, you enjoy the process of being convinced to buy more bread. You feel like his favorite customer, and he has a way of making you feel like royalty instead of the common person that you are. Today, Jan Matthias is excited about more than bread. He's heard the preaching of Martin Luther. He's so excited about what he's heard. There's a fire in his message. He tells you that Luther has explained that we are all priests and we can all go to God. We can read the Bible for ourselves and each of us can preach. You stay in his shop for a while. 
listening to Yan Marthea's ideas about the Bible. Time flies. You are not the only one listening to the baker's ideas about the Bible and God. Every week, he has more thoughts about the Bible. And one day, his shop is closed. No more baking bread. He has become a pastor. Jan Matthias started into the Protestant movement through the teachings of Luther, but he soon finds himself falling more in line with the Anabaptist movement. Jan Matthias believes that Jesus has spoken directly to him. Jesus will return very soon and set up his new Jerusalem. And his new Jerusalem will be in Germany. To be exact, the town of Munster. He tells people they need to move to Munster and prepare for the kingdom. Anabaptists began to move there in droves. Now, the town was a town where Catholics and Lutherans lived in basic harmony together. One by one, they watched as new families moved into their town. The Anabaptists were the minority in the town, but almost overnight, they were the majority. And then, Jan Matthias decided he was going to be the leader of the town. And now the majority Anabaptist movement make it impossible for the Lutherans or Catholics to fight back. The first thing Yamathias does is implement a law that sounds like what we would call today socialism. That, of course, is not a movement that had been created at this point in history, but it sounds like socialism. Matthias said that the early church shared everything so that no one would be without. Munster would do the same. Everyone should share everything. No one would own their own property. If you know anything about history, you know this idea never works out well. The next thing Jan Matthias did was ban all books except the Bible. He had all books brought to the center of town and burned. Then he had all statues and any Catholic relics destroyed. His followers broke down all the statues and pieces of art in the city and destroyed them. The Catholics and the Lutherans living in Munster were very angry. The statues were to them symbols of the town and the men who had lived there before them. But the mobs were too great, so they couldn't stop them. But it was about to get worse. One Sunday morning, the church was full and Jan Matthias was preaching his usual fiery message. People were on the edge of their seats, as they always were when he preached. Was the city now cleansed and ready for the new Jerusalem? Had they done enough to prepare the city? But as Yamathias preaches, the people began to shift uncomfortably in their seats. It sounds like Matthias is calling for the death of all Lutherans and Catholics. The people had torn down the statues, destroyed art, burned books, but they didn't want to kill their neighbors. One man bravely stands to his feet. All eyes are instantly on him. Um, perhaps instead of killing the Catholics and the Lutherans, we could just kick them out of town. Would that not cleanse the city just as well as killing them? Silence. Then Yan Matthias says he will ask God if this will be sufficient and let them know. It's a long week as the congregation waits for the next message. Will they go to church on Sunday and learn they have to kill their neighbors? Yamathias gets up to speak. He has heard from God. The Catholics and the Lutherans are to be driven out of the city. But just the men, 
the children and women, they are to stay. The congregation is happy. They don't have to kill anyone. The Lutherans and Catholic men are not so thrilled as they are forced out of the city. The men are rounded up and driven from the city. Now the leaders in Germany realize the town of Munster is out of control and soon an army is sent to surround the city. It is ordered that the city surrender. They do not. One day in church, one of Matthias's guards stands up to him. He's a very large man, and when he literally stands up to Matthias, he towers over him. He tells him his laws are not from God, and he thinks he's basically full of it. Yeah, Matthias is taken aback by this. He calls for a sword and tells the guard he will cut his head off. But suddenly, Yan Matthias is frozen. The thought of actually cutting the head off this very large man is frightening, and he's never killed anyone before. Suddenly, another younger man named Yan van Leyten runs forward with a knife and stabs the guard. The guard hardly even seems to notice. He makes a sound one might make if they get a paper cut. Jan van Leyten continues to stab the man, but the man only seems to get annoyed by the matter. Suddenly, the guard's wife comes forward and takes the guard and the two leave. The whole thing is kind of awkward, and it would be a really funny story, except the guard ended up getting an infection from one of the cuts and died from the infection eight days later. More and more people start to question the teaching of Matthias. Maybe this city isn't going to be the new Jerusalem. Matthias realizes he's going to have to keep the city. He will need to attack and kill the army that's still surrounding the city. He plans on attacking on Easter Sunday. People in the city try to leave, but they're now stuck in the city. Easter morning, Matthias rides out with a small army. He is killed. So is his entire army. His body is cut up into small pieces and spread all the way around the city. The city doesn't know what to do. They do the only thing they can think of. They go to church. Waiting for them is Jan van Leyten, the man who had attacked the guard. He tells the church that God told him Matthias had become corrupt with power. He had stopped listening to God, and now it was him, Jan van Leyten, that would be the new leader. People are doubtful. Meanwhile, the army surrounding the city decided that since they've killed the leader of the city and his whole army, it was time to attack. They tell the soldiers to position themselves and attack at sunrise. The soldiers are happy to finally attack the city. They know the fight will be easy and they have a pre-celebration party. They drink and get completely drunk. Soldiers are passed out everywhere. Then one soldier wakes up and sees the sunrise. He calls out, the sunrise, we are supposed to attack at sunrise. Another soldier shouts back, no, that's the sunset. No, it's the sunrise, it's in the east. No, that's the west, it's the sunset. The soldiers are all stumbling around drunk. They can't decide if it's the sunset or the sunrise. They decide it's the sunrise and they should attack. Now the other soldiers on the other side of the city are not ready to attack because it is in fact actually the sun set and the attack isn't planned for another eight hours. They awake and realize the war has started without them and quickly try to jump into the battle, but it's too late. Jan van Leyten is prepared for the attack and his army easily defeats the drunk, unprepared army. 
With this defeat, the town believes that Jan van Leyten is in fact the leader God is planning on using to get the city ready for the new Jerusalem. But things are much worse under this new leader. He sets up new laws. Basically, everything becomes a capital crime. For example, complaining and fighting with each other, capital crime. People are found guilty and killed for every small offense. Then he makes it a law that every man must marry at least two women. This is because the women and children whose husbands were kicked out of the city need families. So suddenly homes are destroyed. Wives are not happy that suddenly there's another wife in the home and the new wives don't actually want to be there. But no fighting or complaining or you will be sentenced to death. So imagine, suddenly you must allow another woman into your home to live as a wife with your husband. And if the leadership in your town sees even a hint of complaining, you will be killed. On top of that, the effects of socialism mixed with the city being surrounded by military has led to starving people. But not for Jan van Leyten, he takes the largest share of the goods and eats, well, like a king. One of his wives is a woman named Elizabeth. She walks through the town. She's dressed in fine clothes and wearing jewelry. As she walks, she sees the people dressed in rags, starving, all with painted on smiles, afraid to show any fear or sadness as she walks by. Elizabeth knows what is happening is not from God. At the next meal, she stands. She slowly takes off her jewelry. She takes off her fancy coat. She says that her husband, Jan van Leyten, is not doing God's will. He should be taking care of the people, but they are starving while he eats like a king. Jan van Leyten goes into a fury. He grabs Elizabeth and brings her to the center of town. He calls everyone in the city to come. He then forces her to kneel and beheads her. Then he tells the rest of his wives they must dance for him around her body. The town is horrified. The army that has surrounded the city decides to attack again. This time they are not drunk and the army breaks through the city gates. They kill most of the people in the city. They take Jan van Leyten and two of his main helpers and put them into cages. They then publicly torture them for four hours. And then once they are dead, they have the cages hung from the top of the church as a reminder to everyone to never follow a man like this again. And that is the cages that fell during the bombing in World War II. The cages were put back and are still there today. You can visit the city of Munster and see the cages for yourself. Today we can learn from this story in history. The people who followed the baker were not planning on becoming a church that would go down in history as the most evil church ever. They left for Munster excited and anticipating a new Jerusalem. They got caught up in a movement. It was just statues and then just art and then just books and then just kicking out the Catholic and Lutheran men and then just, just never ever agree to anything that's just. Elizabeth died standing up for what was right no one defended her. No one was willing to die with her. Yet, everyone who refused to stand with her did eventually die. The guard as well, he stood alone. 
I heard somewhere the statement, it is the second one to dance that matters. If one person is dancing to music, people will stare, maybe even laugh. No one wants to join in until the second person joins in. The second person dances. Then everyone else who wanted to dance but was too afraid to join will jump in and join. We need to not be afraid to stand alone. But also, if you see a person standing, don't be afraid to join them. Be the second person to dance. Maybe it isn't a fight you were planning on having that day, but here you are in the fight. Don't stand by. Don't do nothing. Everyone followed both Jan van Leyten and Jan Matthias because they were the leaders. It became clear pretty fast they were insane. I know the people living there had to be questioning what was happening, but they didn't question authority. They trusted the experts. Think for yourself. Be willing to ask the hard questions and get out before it's too late. My final thoughts I have is this. We all know the statement, if we don't learn history, we will be doomed to repeat it. This is why the cages are still hung in the old church today. The town of Munster does not want to forget. And yet most of us do not know this story. And the story has been repeated over and over and over. As we go through more of church history, we will see this same story being replayed. A dynamic preacher, share all your belongings, destroy the past, listen to me, I hear directly from God, and then death. It's a story that repeats itself. Different languages, different cultures, different countries, even different continents. The reason it repeats itself is that we have the same enemy, Satan, and he doesn't have to come up with new strategies because we seem to never learn from the mistakes of others. So let's learn from this history and let's not repeat it. As far as the Anabaptist movement, after this, the group that wanted nonviolence and to not partake in any government movements became the majority in the Anabaptist movement. Next week, we will see one more Anabaptist, Menno Simons, and we will look at the churches today who came from the Anabaptist movement. Make sure you don't miss a single episode. Leave a five-star review and subscribe. For more podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit my website, lauraleesiemens.com. I'll see you next week.